invite you to take your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we've made a big deal about your one this past week. We'll make a big deal about your one today as well. And, and we are not emphasizing this just to try to have some, some magic number in pews or some magic number of views online. We are uh, emphasizing this to give you, as a follower of Jesus, the opportunity to do exactly what Jesus has made you to do. You were made for a mission. You were saved in order to be sent. Jesus makes a prayer request of his followers in another part of the gospel, in Luke's gospel. It, it, the verse is not on your screen, but uh, I, I think you'll probably recognize it once you hear it. Jesus told his disciples and his followers to pray this way. He said, look, the harvest, is Luke 10 too, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Jesus said, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and make your prayer that he would send forth harvesters into the field. So Jesus said, I want my followers to pray that God will send forth laborers and those laborers will go out into the harvest with the message of the gospel. Do you realize that you have one of the most unique opportunities to be an answer to your own prayer in that way? That you can pray today, God, will you send forth, you told us to pray this, God, will you send forth people into this harvest and into the world with the message of hope, with the message of the gospel, and you can pray that prayer, then turn around and be an answer to your own prayer. You have that unique opportunity. That's why we want you to get involved with this. That's why we want you to identify your one. That's why we want you to invest in that one. That's why we want you to serve that one just like Jesus would serve that one. And if Jesus were serving that one, he would be sure that he invited that one to embrace the gospel message. And that's our prayer for you, that we would simply do what Jesus himself would do. After all, isn't that what following Jesus is all about? Am I by myself this morning? Am I going to get a, get a long sermon? And that's what Jesus, that's, 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 that's what he's about. He's about getting those far away from God because, look, eternity is a long time. And we want to make sure that those who will experience eternity experience it in the presence of Jesus. Now, look, there are a lot of excuses we can come up with. There are a lot of reasons as to why we can't be obedient or why we are not going to be obedient or faithful in living out our faith and sharing with others what Jesus has done for us. But I will tell you this morning that I believe there are infinitely more reasons why we should do that as opposed to why we should not. I am convinced that the better we understand what Jesus did for us in saving us, the more 
passionate we will become in making sure other people hear the good news of the gospel. I believe that the more we understand how Jesus has rescued us, how he brought us up out of that pit, how he placed our feet upon a solid rock, how he put a brand new song in our mouth, I'm convinced that the more we become believers in understanding of what Jesus has done for us, the louder we will share that message of what he can do for other people. You see, unfortunately, many of us go through seasons of life, and admittedly, a pandemic does not help this at all. Many of us go through seasons of life in which we forget what it means to be saved. Sometimes we go through seasons of life in which we get comfortable, and when we get spiritually comfortable, following Jesus becomes something that we do only when it's convenient. My prayer for myself today, my prayer for you today, is that we'll never get over it. My prayer is that we'll never stop being amazed by God's grace to us. My prayer is that we'll never stop desiring to see others experience the joy we have found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we're going to allow this morning the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians to remind us of our salvation. You say, Pastor, this text seems pretty familiar. It seems like you preached on that before. I did last week. In fact, I have preached. I, I, I knew that I kept coming back to this text. I look back at my, my, my notes. I've preached this text four times since I have been your pastor for these last four years, and none of the messages are the same. You know, sometimes preachers preach on the same text ten times in the same message, but uh, no four messages have been the same. Say, Pastor, when do you stop preaching on this? When we start doing it, all right? Because that's the thing about the Word of God is that uh, uh, you can come to the same text time after time again, and God uh, shakes you with something from it that maybe your spirit was not able to discern before. So today I want us to, to look at this text from the perspective of the new you, of, of what Jesus does in our conversion. Because again, I believe once we understand what He's done for us, we'll want others to have that same experience. Let's look at our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's start in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you notice that Paul put an emphasis on new creation? He said, when we come into a relationship with Christ, we are a new creation. The new has come. That word new means a new kind, something that is unprecedented 
unprecedented, something that did not previously exist, but which then is brought into reality. We are a new creation. Some, a creation is simply something that is created by someone. In this understanding, this new creation is created for us by someone else. It's outside of our responsibility or our ability to do it. This all is from God, is what the Apostle Paul says. So what does Paul mean when he says that anyone in Christ is a new creation? I mean, it's not that our physical features change. It's not that, that something physically about us changes. Rather, it's something spiritually about us changes. Something within us changes. As followers of Jesus, the old life that we used to live was lived as a slave to sin. The new life that we live is lived in devotion to Christ, which creates new attitudes and, and new actions in our lives. I like how Paul phrased this new creation in Ephesians chapter 4. He said in Ephesians 4, 22 and 20 through 24, he said, you were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And we've got this battle between our old nature and our new nature, and when Christ saves us, he gives us this ability to put off that old and to put on this new. Now, we could spend hours, we really could spend hours looking at the changes that are made when we come into a relationship with Christ. But I want to just boil them down to, to three, and this is, not, this is not comprehensive in the least. This wouldn't even be the forward pages of a book if we write a book about what God does. This is so minuscule, but these are three things that jump out to me from the text. What happens to us when Jesus saves us? Three things. First is this. Our relationship with Christ gives us a new identity. It gives us a new identity. Man, there are some very important words in this text that we just read, specifically in verse 17, where Paul says, if anyone, excuse me, if anyone is in Christ. That phrase is so important. If anyone is in Christ. In fact, Paul uses that phrase in his writings over 200 times. That phrase speaks to identity. See, there are one of two phrases in which your identity is wrapped. Your identity is wrapped up in one of these two phrases. You're either in Adam or you are in Christ. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam, in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. To be in Adam means that, uh, that that harkens back to Eden. It speaks of sin. To be in Christ takes us to the cross and the empty tomb, and it speaks of our salvation. Before your relationship with Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ this morning, before your relationship with Christ, you were in Adam. And in Adam, in sin, you stand 
stand separated from Christ. You stand alienated from Christ. You need someone to change your identity. You need someone to take you from being in Adam in sin to being in Christ in righteousness. I think this is what Paul is getting at where he says in verse 21, for our sake God made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That in Christ God put our sin. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. We give Jesus our sin and he gives us his righteousness. He reconciles us. He changes our position and our identity is changed. We go from being in Adam in sin to being in Christ. Now reconciliation, the fact that we need to be reconciled. And he mentions reconciliation over and over and over in this text. The fact that we need to be reconciled to God indicates that the relationship we have with God is broken. And there's a reason it's broken. And that reason is sin. To sin is to miss the mark. It's to fall short of God's standard. It's the universal experience of every single person outside of Jesus Christ. And the fact that we are sinners separates us from God. Isaiah 59, uh, God says, your sin has separated you so that I cannot hear you. There's a gulf that exists between us and between God because of sin. That relationship is broken. That relationship needs to be reconciled. And the bad news, the even worse news, is that we in and our own in and of our own efforts cannot reconcile that relationship. We can't manufacture enough good works. Isaiah said that the very best of our righteousness is like a filthy rag in the sight of a holy God. Even on your very best day, you still fall short of the glory of God. You come to church every Sunday of the year and still die and go to hell. You can be baptized until, as my daddy would say, every tadpole in the state knows you by name and still die and go to hell. You can go through uh, numerous religious exercises because you can't manufacture the righteousness that is required for reconciliation. We need someone to step in. Enter Jesus. That's why Paul makes a point of saying it is through him that we are reconciled. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, the basis of our reconciliation. That relationship that is restored is not us, but it's Jesus. We're reconciled to God because of the death of his son through the cross, through Jesus Christ. You see, that reconciliation that becomes our identity and that reconciliation involves a change in our relationship with God. Yes, it assumes that there has been a breakdown in the relationship. But reconciliation speaks to the fact that there has been a change from the state of that relationship. There's no longer enmity or transgression or fragmentation in that relationship. Instead, my relationship with God is now one of harmony and fellowship. Look, the impact of this, and I promise you the next two points aren't nearly as long as this one. The impact of this reconciliation cannot be overstated. Do you know what it means to say that God has reconciled this relationship? Look at what he said in verse 19. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. The essence of our reconciliation is that God does not count. He does not hold our trespasses against us when it comes to us standing before God for our pronunciation or judgment for eternity. There, therefore, is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he does not count in eternity my sins against him. Do you know what it means to have your sins count against you? It means that you stand separated from God for all eternity. If you stand before God at the end of your life, never having your relationship reconciled, your sin of rejecting Jesus will stand against you forever, and it will lead you to that place called hell that will be suffering and torment forever. But the reconciliation that occurs in the relationship with Jesus Christ means that when I stand before God at the end of my life, He does not hold my sin against me. Isn't that amazing? And it's not because of what I've done, but it's because of what He has done for me. You see, Christianity, following Jesus is not about what you do for God. It's about what God has done for you. Therefore, when the enemy reminds me of, of my sin, I must remind myself of the gospel. When the enemy shouts accusations of my sin against me, I must listen to the louder shouts of reconciliation from the cross and the empty tomb. Have you been reconciled to God? It's not something you can achieve, but it is something you can receive today through faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, he changes your identity. Number two, our relationship with Christ gives us a new activity. It gives us a new identity, but it also gives us a new activity. Now, we're making a distinction here, uh, sermonically, we're making a distinction between the identity of the believer and the activity of the believer as if they were two separate things. But in reality, they're not. One feeds the other. Understand this way, your position impacts your practice. Here's what I mean. Who you are in Christ, your identity determines your activity. The fact that you are in Christ means that certain things happen as a result of being in Christ. You see, we do not do what we do. The question comes out, do we do what we do because we are or are we are who we are because of what we do? We are not who we are because of what we do. We do what we do because of who we are. Our identity impacts our activity. See, when Paul talks about this reconciliation, he's also talking about a transformation. The fact is, in Christ, we are a new creation, which means that, that what we do is changed. Living as a new creation, living with new activity, is something that God works in us using our will and our choices. We must both receive the gift of being a new creation and then be challenged to 
live the life of a new creation. God transforms us from the inside out. He changes us internally. And look, if Jesus changes you internally, you can't help but be changed externally. We're not talking about that you're doing things to be saved. We're talking about you're doing things because you have been saved. That your activity changes not because you're trying to earn a favor with God. Your activity changes because you have received favor from God. It's no longer about your performance for God, but it's about what you're doing in response to what God has done for you. You see, it's unfair for us to expect those who are not in Christ to live as if they were a new creation. However, it is not unfair to expect a changed life from people who have been changed by the power of God in salvation. We are in the process of sanctification. We are not what we used to be, and we are not what we're going to be, but thank God we're not what we at one time were. And God is continually working in us, making us more like Jesus as we embrace our new identity as a new creation. Are you surrendered to the presence of Christ in your life? Does your activity indicate your identity in Christ? Because a relationship with Christ, according to Paul, it changes your identity, it changes your activity. Number three. Our relationship with Christ gives us a new responsibility. It gives us this new identity, which then changes and gives us, us a new activity. And part of that new activity is that we embrace a new responsibility of someone who has been reconciled to God. That responsibility, this responsibility, that's the whole focus of our invite your one emphasis, of our who's your one emphasis that we challenge you because we have a responsibility according to Paul, as we talked about last week, to be engaged in the ministry of reconciliation by sharing the message of reconciliation. Now, I know when I talk about sharing the message of reconciliation, we talk about investing in your one. We talk about sharing the hope that's within you. That, that makes some of us nervous because some of us have a misunderstanding. And I just want to clear things up this morning so we're all on the same page. And I'm just a simple minded person thinking simply about life. And I just look at the Bible, look at the brass tacks of it and say, what does it say and what does it mean? And, and here's the response of the, or the, the, the reality that I come through, come to sharing the message of reconciliation doesn't require you to give a theological lecture. That doesn't mean that you've got to memorize the book of Leviticus if you want to have at it. But that's not what it means. It doesn't mean sharing the message of reconciliation doesn't mean that, that you have to have a, a dialogue about the four different interpretations of the book of Revelation. Again, if you want to do that, have at it. But that's not what sharing the message of reconciliation is. Sharing the message of reconciliation, this new responsibility, is simply sharing with others what Jesus has done for you. And let me say this, 
You may think of the pastoral, I'll try to be diplomatic. It's the pastoral way to say this. Because I, I mean, I like you emailing me, but I don't like all the content of it sometimes. If you aren't telling people what Jesus has done for you, could it be that he hasn't done anything for you? I'm not saying it is, I'm saying could it be? Because what's in us always comes out of us. Because when your football team does something for you, like it's that dub, you start talking about it, don't you? Man, you got it on Facebook, you're wearing a sweatshirt afterwards. Look, I'm an Arkansas Mississippi State fan. We don't have much to, you know, jump up and down about. That's could be where could be a Texas Longhorn. Uh, but when when something good happens, don't we tell somebody? You know, I've I've never bragged about a Mississippi State loss. <laughs> if they don't do something for me, I don't talk about them that much. Could it be? I'm just posing a question. If we aren't actively engaged and sharing what Jesus has done for us, it might be a good idea for us to ask ourselves, what has he done? What have I allowed him to do in my life? Because see, if Jesus has done something for you, you've got something to say. So I ask you this morning, are you embracing your God-given Biblical responsibility as an ambassador of Jesus. God making his appeal through you. Because I'm telling you, there is no plan B. It's not like God's got a hidden book of the Bible that says, you know what? If what I have laid out doesn't work, here's the backup plan. Uh -uh. It's, it's, this is it. God making his appeal through us. Are you allowing God to make his appeal through you? This morning as we prepare to conclude our time of worship for our invitation and our time of commitment, I simply want to ask you, first and foremost, have you been reconciled to God? That's why we spent so much time on this first aspect of being reconciled, of having this new identity. Because if you don't have this relationship with God, he has done everything to make that relationship possible. The book of Hebrews tells us that having made purification for our sins, that Jesus sat down because it was finished. He did all that was required. Sin has disrupted that relationship. Many years ago, I simply asked Jesus to be my Savior. I confessed my sin. I asked him to be the Lord, the boss of my life. I ask him to restore that relationship because he did everything to restore it. If there's never been a time in your life when you've asked Jesus to restore your relationship with him, to reconcile, would you do that this morning? Would you make that your prayer? Would you simply, right where you are, call out to God and ask him to be your Lord and Savior? 
for those of us who have made that decision. Do you understand who you are in Christ? What it means to be reconciled? Are you ready for God to use you, not to spit out lots of information, but simply to share with somebody else what Jesus has done for you? If he's done something for you, you've got something to say. And if we can talk about everybody else, let the first person of whom we speak be Jesus. Would you bow your heads right where you are? In these next 30 seconds, this next half minute, would you simply do business with God as God has placed upon your heart to do this morning? As you've done that business with God, if you've made a decision of some type for the Lord today, if, if you've prayed to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you've come to the determination that you need to follow his example by being baptized, if, if God's placed upon your heart to make First Baptist Church your, your family of faith through which you do ministry and, and mission, whatever it is that God's placed upon your heart, which you let us know that. You can let us know that very simply by completing that yellow card that's the pew uh, in front of you, your next step card, or you can even go online and, and indicate to us there the next step that uh, God is calling you to take, and we want to come alongside you and help you take that next step. Again, I pray that you will get involved in the, the, the resources that we're providing and invite your one. Uh, the, the, the fact that, uh, that, that you've got the, re- you have no excuse, I mean, it's right here. And this is an opportunity for us to simply do what God has called us to do. So I hope that this morning before you leave, you'll write down the initials of that one that you're going to pray for, that you're going to serve, and uh, just leave that on the pew. And we're going to add those names and we're going to pray with you for them this week.